to have um, Pastor Mark Connor with us. He probably has a couple of other initials and stuff after his name that I should be aware of. Uh, but one thing that I'd, I'd learned and one thing that Mel and I and the leadership have tried to do over the years as we've led the church is to invite people here that we feel as though uh, want to sow healthily into the heart of the church, that we would consider friends, not just people that want to bring the, you know, the next cool message that God's laid on their heart. And we were really blessed last year and had the opportunity of having Mark minister with us because something that was happening within Churches of Christ and he was in Ballarat and the opportunity presented itself and so we, we jumped at it. But what I love the most, even outside of your ministry when you were here, was when you spoke to the leaders, the pastors of Ballarat and he just spoke to them about being healthy in ministry and there was a real wisdom there and the Bible often says if you want wisdom ask for it and so I often ask for it and then I just wait and think why aren't I any wiser well maybe it's because I should be looking at people around me that have got the wisdom to be able to invest and to bring and I was just reminiscent of how he spoke to our pastors and what he brought to be healthy in ministry was such a a, a wonderful not just theme, but such a, a wonderful life-giving word. And so I feel, and Mel feels totally safe, that we can entrust to him our house to come and bring us a word. So I don't, I don't want to be, I grew up Catholic, I don't want us to stand and sit and stand and sit and stand and sit, but I'm going to ask you to stand so that we can honour somebody as they bring a word, because as we honour them, it releases the gift inside them for us. So it's selfish but it's a God principle. So can we put our hands together for Mark? Hey, please? thank you. Thank, thank you, my man. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for your welcome. You may be seated. And Andrew and Melanie, great to be back in Ballarat with you today on this beautiful Sunday morning. And so for all of you who are part of uh, Mount Clear Church of Christ, great to be able to share with you today and anyone who's visiting uh, for the first time or maybe just dropping in, saw the crowd, dropped in, uh, great, great to be here today. Who enjoyed the extra hour sleep? Some of you still enjoying it? No, no. Uh, anyone rock up an hour early today? Come on, come on, that's commitment, that's commitment. Yeah. What's your name? Anna, I've done that before. It's when you rock up an hour late that's the real problem, especially if you're the speaker, you know, like that, that, that's, that gets a little bit crazy. Hey, so great to be here uh, together with you this morning, enjoying our time. So I'm going to pray and then we're going to share um, some things that'll be helpful to you today. God, thank you for this beautiful day. This is the day you have made and we will rejoice and be glad in it as Ben and the team have been leading us just to celebrate the fact that you're with us every moment of every day. But something special happens when we get together uh, with one another. And so uh, I don't know what's happening in everyone's life today, but you do. And so thank you for the Holy Spirit who can speak through me to every person here today to encourage them, inspire them, challenge them in Jesus' name. Everyone that's awake said amen. amen. You know, the, the four Gospels in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, contain a lot of Jesus' teaching. Uh, but at the end of John, John makes an interesting statement. He actually says, Jesus did and said many other things, and if they were all written down, the world couldn't contain the books that could be written. So Jesus actually said and did things that aren't in the four Gospels. Uh, one of those statements 
uh, is actually in the book of Acts, and it would have been passed on through something called oral tradition. And uh, this is Paul speaking, and the context is Paul's been at Ephesus for about three years. They had a great impact on the city and the region, and he's heading out, he's leaving, he's moving on to Jerusalem and then to Rome. And so he starts talking about his own values, his own priorities. And he had lived a life where he'd worked hard to meet his own needs, but also so he could have enough to give away. He had this value of generosity. And he actually quotes a statement of Jesus that's not in the four Gospels, but would have been passed on by word of mouth. It's one of Jesus' teachings. And so we're going to read that. Sally's going to bring that up on the screen for us. Acts 20, verse 35. Uh, a little bit earlier. I think it's the Acts 20, verse 35. Probably the first slide there, Sally. I know that came up a little earlier. Can we get back to that one? Acts 20. All right, she's feeling as bad as I am. So, we stuck? Say hello to your neighbor. Say you're looking really good this morning. Here we go. Okay, we're a little bit off screen, but uh, let me read that to you. Acts 20, verse 35. This is what Paul says. He says, I have worked hard to help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, who said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. It's more blessed to give than to receive. In the Message Bible, it says you are far happier giving than getting. And in the contemporary English version, it says more blessings come from giving than from receiving. And so Paul had lived a life in such a way to look after his own needs, but so that he was able to give and be a blessing to others. Blessed, the word blessed, oh, there we go, is more blessed to give than to receive. The word blessed there means to be happy. It means to be fortunate. It means to be envied. It means to be well off. Now, this sounds really countercultural. It actually sounds a bit uh, you know, unnatural. Uh, Jesus is actually saying you are going to be happier when you're in a giving mode than when you're in a getting mode. Many of Jesus, anyone heard of the Beatitudes? Uh, Matthew 6, the blesseds, uh, Jesus kind of turned upside down the way that we often think. The assumptions of who we think is well off is actually different than the reality of who really has the good life. And so Jesus says, you're going to be happier, you're going to be more fortunate, you're going to be better off when you're in a giving mode than a receiving mode. Now, there's a well-known psychologist, if you've done some psychology studies at uni, called Martin Seligman. And Martin wrote a book called Learned Optimism. And his whole field of study is happiness. He studies happiness, mood, emotions. And he did this assignment with his students in uni. He says, we've got an assignment this week. I want you to go out. You've got to do two things. Number one, do something pleasurable just for yourself. And measure your emotions before, during, and after that pleasurable event. That's a pretty cool assignment. How many like his class? And then secondly, he says, I want you to go out this week, and I want you to do something for someone else that has no benefit to you whatsoever. And I want you to measure your emotions before, during, and afterwards. So the class took off, and they went out into their week. They did their assignments. This is what they reported when they came back into class. Unanimously, they all said this. When they did something pleasurable for themselves, 
Go see a movie or hot fudge Sunday or buy a new pair of clothing. There's this spike of emotion that goes up really high and it drops down very quickly. That's what they all reported when they did something for themselves. However, they unanimously reported when they did something for someone else, like go work in a soup kitchen on a Friday night or help an elderly person across the road. When they did something for others, their feelings started to lift towards the moment. They had a high of positive emotion and those positive emotions lingered sometimes for hours, sometimes for days afterwards. They could have saved that entire assignment by listening to Jesus. <laughs> Jesus said, you know what? You're actually happier. You're better off when you're giving than when you're getting just for yourself. It sounds kind of countercultural, but it's totally true. And so I want to unpack just in our time together today. How are we happier? How are we more blessed? when we're in a giving mode than in a receiving mode. This, these are my thoughts, and you might have some more as you go out and have lunch together a little later. Number one, the first thing is God is pleased. God is pleased when we live generous lives. Because the Bible says in John 3.16, God so loved the world that he... That was your cue. God so loved the world that he... God himself is a giver. He is not a getter. Sometimes we say little statements like, God created us to worship him. Have you ever heard that statement? If you just kind of unpack it, it's not actually true. If God created us to worship him, the implication is God has a big hole in his heart and he needs people to tell him he's wonderful. So he created you to sing this morning just so he'll get through another week. It's not actually true. If God created us to worship him, that would be a selfish reason to create us. That would be like me marrying my wife because I want to cook a house cleaner. Are you with me? I should have hired a, a maid if that's why I married Nicole. I married Nicole because I love her and want to give myself to her. Now, she cooks really good. She does, I, there's friends with benefits, come on. But... <laughs> I didn't marry her for that motive. And could I suggest to you that God created you to give himself to you. And when you worship him in return, his heart is touched. But that's not the reason he created you. God has been happy. In fact, God is the most joyful being in the universe. And he was happy for you before you and I even were created. God doesn't need anything. He's not up there this morning saying, please sing me one more song. God created us to give himself to us. God's a giver, not a getter. Worship is our response to his giving. So God so loved the world that he gave. And so God gives us every day. His mercies are new every morning. The very breath you're breathing now comes from God. The sunshine, the hope in the midst of the storm. As we heard today, everything we has comes from God. So God is a giving God. So when we give, when we choose to actually be a blessing to others, God is pleased. You know why? Because as his kids, we're starting to be like him. We're starting to be like him. Uh, let's look at this verse that Ray stole from me this morning. That's the trouble having the same Bible and the same Holy Spirit. Ray almost preached my sermon today. 
2 Corinthians 9, 7, each of you should give what you've decided it to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion of some preacher manipulating you from the platform. Sorry, that's my little addition there. God loves a cheerful giver. Why does God love cheerful giving? Because he's a cheerful giver. And so when you and I become givers, when we become generous in the way we live our life, God is pleased because you know what? We're becoming just like him. And he looks at us as his kids. He goes, that's my boy. That's my girl. God is pleased. I see some parents here today. You ever been to the Golden Arches restaurant? You know, McDonald's? Many times, yeah. Ever been to McDonald's and bought your little angel a little Happy Meal? And uh, at the time you bought the Happy Meal, you weren't hungry. But as they're sitting there eating those hot chips, you suddenly want one. And you reach out to your little angel say, could daddy or mommy have one? And they go, no. <laughs> Has that ever happened to you? Come on, come on. Well, often. And you, it's happened to me. And you know what I think in that moment? I paid for those chips. <laughs> like, I paid for those chips. And then secondly, I think... I don't need your chips. I can go buy all the chips I'll ever need. And then I think thirdly, and I can make sure you never have a chip while you live under my roof. <laughs> now, don't say that. But that's what I think. And you know what? When we live stingy, tight-fisted lives, I think that's how God feels. How many know God is the fry maker? Come on. Come on. Guess, guess where those fries in your hand came from? Everything in your hand, guess who paid for those? And you know what? He didn't need them. But when we share the fries, when we live generous lives, how many know he can keep cooking up more fries? But if we hold on to them, they're going to get soggy and cold. And he can, he can turn the fry maker down. You with me? Why is it more blessed to give than to receive? Number one, because God is blessed when we live generous lives because we're just like him. Now, there's lots of ways to give. We can give with our time. Many of you volunteer here at Mount Clear and in other uh, parts of the community. We can give of our, our service, use our gifts, and we can also give of our finances. You know, the gospel is free, but how many know it costs money to spread the good news? And so giving financially, as Ray shared today, is a, is, is a way that we can live generous lives. I, th I think financial management is really, really important. In fact, Jesus once said, the children of this world are wiser than the children of light. That was not a compliment. And he was talking about money. In other words, sometimes people out in the community are smarter with their money than people who call themselves Christians. And so just a little sideline here. I encourage people to get a bit of a plan for managing your finances. And something that we've used in our own life, church, and taught for many years is something called the 10-10-80 plan. 101080. Uh, and the way it works is every time you get a paycheck or some income from the government or a royalty from that hit song you wrote back in the 80s, every time you get some income, do three things. Give God the first 10%. Honor God. In the Old Testament, it's called tithing, and it was the law in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, it's a principle. It's not a law. In fact, how many know in the New Testament, all we have belongs to God? You can't sing, I surrender 10%. I surrender 10%. 10% to G. 
No, no, all we have belongs to God. And so tithing is no longer a law. It's a principle. By taking that first 10% and giving it to God's work, it's a reminder that God's the fry maker. And these fries, he cooked them up. <laughs> he put them in my hand and he can keep them coming. And so give a tenth to God and his work through the church. And, and you know, some people complain a bit about tithing. I'm a footy fan. Um, go Cats. And um, have you noticed that footy tickets go up every year in price? Can you, can, have you, every year the tickets go up. And real fans never complain. They never complain. You know, tithing's been at 10% for about 3,000 years. <laughs> like it hasn't gone to 11, 12, 13. It's still at 10%. Thank, thankfully, real Jesus fans don't complain. There's <laughs> a few fans here today. So, so, so give God 10%. Uh, secondly, pay yourself. Save 10%. A lot, a lot of preaching in church about giving, not much about saving. You know, there's a proverb that says this, In the house of the wise, there are stores of food, wine, and oil, but a fool devours all they have. It was written 3,000 years ago. In the house of the wise, there's some savings, but fools... Eat everything. You know the number one problem in the world today? People are eating all of their fries. <laughs> They're not saving anything. So give 10% to God and then take another 10%. Come on, you got up in the morning, you worked hard. Take another 10%, put it in a high interest account or an investment. Save 10%. And then endeavor to live on 80% of your income, your other expenses, food, clothes, etc. If you can do this, 10, 10, 80, you will be financially free. It's got nothing to do with the amounts. See, the number one problem in Australia is most people are spending more than they're earning. If you're on 100,000 salary today and you're spending 110,000 every year, how many know you're in trouble? In fact, if you're on 50,000 salary and are only spending 40,000, you're better off than the person making twice as much money. People on big salaries are not necessarily healthy financially. It's nothing to do with the numbers. It's to do with the ratios. And so if you could get... It's so simple. A 10-year-old could do it. Give 10 to God. Save 10 for yourself. And live on 80%. Now, the 80% is a challenge because there's something called budget busters. Anyone know what a budget buster is? It's where we make uh, a, a decision to spend based on impulse. Anyone heard of impulse buying? Some of us, just the sight of a revolving red light in the shopping center or sale, just the word sale, and we feel the anointing, like, like, like the heart starts to be, or two for the price of one. You know, if something's $50 off, it's normally 100 and you get it for $50 off, we come home and say, I save 50 bucks. No, no, you just spend 50 bucks. See, many of us are buying stuff we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't even like. Impulse buying. It's a no number one problem today. There's an entire industry called the advertising industry whose number one goal is to make you dissatisfied with what you have now and tell you the lie that if you buy this new, latest, greatest, your life will be wonderful. Now, a little tip here. Impulse buying, women do it more than men. It's statistically true. Women are more prone to impulse buying than men. However, Andrew, 
Men do it with larger amounts. I just got the women back. I lost them and I got them back. Guys, that extra pair of shoes is probably not going to bust the budget, but that new boat you bought or that new 60-inch television. Come on, don't, don't look at me so spiritual. Impulse buying. It's a major budget buster. Now, some of you are going... Now, now 101080 is just a general thing. I mean, start at 5590. Move to 202060. It's just a principle. Give, save, and live within your means. Now, some of you are saying, oh, I could never do that. If you can't make 101080 work, you've either got to earn some more money, upskill, get a higher paying job, work a little overtime, get a part-time job. You've either got to increase your money or you've got to downsize. Downsize. There's a scripture in Ecclesiastes 4 verse 6 that says this, Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with chasing the wind. Minimalism, 3,000 years ago. Nothing new under the sun. Ecclesiastes 4.6. Better one handful with tranquility. The word tranquility means peace and joy. Then two handfuls, twice as much with the stress and the pressure that comes with it. I preached this at our church quite a few years ago. And a couple came up after church. I knew the lady. I hadn't seen her husband. And she says, oh, my husband, it's his first time in church today. He was, he was a Buddhist. I'm thinking, oh, man, his first time in church. And I'm talking about money. Like, I'm ready for it, you know. And they just began to open up. They're both in tears. What I just preached was just for them. They were living in a two-story mega mansion in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne. They were both working full-time. They had so much death and so much pressure. They were arguing. Their marriage had tension. And I'm preaching about you're better with less and some joy in your life. I prayed for them. I saw them about six months later. They came up. They were filled with joy. They said, we sold that house. We got a smaller house. We got a smaller mortgage. My wife's now working part-time. And we, um, we're actually starting a family. And he had become a Christian, which was kind of pretty good news in there too. I cannot describe the joy on their face because they realize more is not always better. They actually downsized. They got a smaller footprint, smaller mortgage, smaller house with a, a mortgage that was sustainable and suddenly joys in their world. I might be speaking to someone here today. I don't know. But generosity begins with realizing when we give, we honor God. But it's not just about giving. It's having a financial plan to give, to save, to live within our means. It's part of discipleship. Anyone agree? All right, so that's our first reflection. How is giving you know, more better than getting? Well, God is pleased. Number two, other people are blessed. It's a long time since Christmas, but I just thought I'd remind you that Christmas happened about 12, 13 weeks ago. How do you feel when you're on the receiving end of a gift? I mean, Christmas time or maybe your birthday or a special occasion. When someone gives you a gift, how do you feel? You feel special. You feel valued. You shouldn't have, but thank you that you did. You feel loved. You feel appreciated. Uh, when we give, not only is God blessed, but other people 
are blessed. Let's look at 2 Corinthians. Paul's doing some fundraising coming up now, 9 verse 12. Two things are going to result from your giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem. He was raising some funds for a famine situation. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met and they will joyfully express their Thanks to God. When you choose to live a generous, a giving life, God is pleased because He's going, that's my boy, that's my girl. But secondly, other people are blessed by your generosity. Um, back when I was leading City Life Church, we used to do a Christmas in July for our staff because Christmas in December was always crazy, crazy time. So we'd have a bit of a lunch. Uh, before lunch, we'd always have an activity in the morning. And so one year we gave everyone $10 and said, Go out in, in groups and just do some random acts of kindness. And uh, so some people bought some flowers and gave it to elderly lady on the street. You know, they, all these created, just 10 bucks, just, just go. And I tell you, the buzz over lunch, just talking about what happened with their $10 was just amazing. Another year... Um, we, we had a bit of a competition. It was, it was a pre pretty big staff because we had a community centre, school, etc. So it was uh, quite a large staff. And another year, we, we had a, a, a bit of a competition. We had some bikes, four or five, I think about five bikes come in in boxes that needed to be assembled. And so we had a competition as to who could assemble their bike first. And so it was on. Bang, they're going. Groups are stealing tools from other groups and all Christian things are going on. Anyway, so eventually the bikes are together and you know, there's a winner and a second and a third place. It's just a bit of fun, a bit of competition. And then we said, we just want to let you know that through that door in the other room, we've talked to the local primary school and we've asked them to select five young people and they're going to come through in a moment and we're going to give each one of them a bike. Whoa. Suddenly everything kind of changed. You know, you can easily get up in the mechanics of ministry and actually forget that it's for somebody. Uh, just a little tip. We did have a professional bike fixer-upper come and check all the bikes <laughs> before we handed them to them. But, but I wish I had a video of that door opening and the, the, the principal of the primary coming through with these five kids and their parents to a church and, and, and going, hey, hey, John, over to this group. This, this bike is for you. And, and the, the, the look on these kids' faces, because they didn't, they, they didn't know what was going on. They were just taken out of school to go somewhere. Unbelievable. You know, there was a little boy, just one story. There was a little boy. This was July. There was a little boy who at Christmas, he was maybe, maybe eight or nine. Christmas time, he got his first bike. And in January, Someone stole his bike. True story, unlike all the other stories I've told. <laughs> it's always funny when you say true story, isn't it? Uh, in January, his bike was stolen, and his parents could not afford to buy another bike. We did not know this. Come July, he happened to be one of the kids who had been selected, and now he's a bunch of Jesus people giving him a bike. You, you know, when you give, other people are blessed. Other people are blessed. You know, Jesus went about doing good. He left a trail of blessed people wherever he went. And so the reason you're going to be happier, you're going to be better off when you give, is God's pleased. Other people will be blessed. Let's see Ballarat have a trail of blessed people. Because you and I live 
generous lives. And then thirdly, here's the surprise element. Number three, we are blessed. This isn't our motive, but when you give, there's a powerful principle that says when you give, you also receive. It actually baffles the rational mind. You know, we gave those bikes to those kids, but I can tell you, we talked about that for weeks as a staff. Like we were blessed by giving those bikes away. And in the same way, when we live generous lives, it blesses God, it blesses other people, but it kind of comes back to us. It's the same, same financially. You know, in, in our natural mind, as we did the offering today, we think, when I give, I make a loss. That's what we think. If you put some money in the offering today, or you did a direct debit, when we give, I make a loss. That, that's what we think. But from a spiritual kingdom, heavenly point of view, when you give, you make a gain. Because when you give to God's work, you make a deposit in your heavenly bank account. Yeah. Some of you are saying, where's that? Good question. <laughs> Jesus, coming up now. Matthew 6. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths will eat and rust destroys and thieves break in. Store your treasures in heaven. Where do you get a heavenly bank account? Which bank? Store your treasures in heaven. How, how do you get a heavenly bank account? Anytime you give of your time, your energy, your resources, your finances into God's work, you're making a deposit in your heavenly bank account. And how many know God pays some pretty good dividends, some good return? Paul picks this up in Philippians 4. You may have never seen this. Look at this, Philippians 4. Uh, verse 17 to 19. Philippi was the only church that helped Paul financially. And he's writing to them saying, thank you so much. There was no other church that helped me in the matter of giving only you. But look what he says here. Not that I'm desiring your gifts. I'm not looking to extract money from you. What I desire is what may be credited to your account. He goes on and he talks. He says, your gifts are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And how many, how many have heard this promise? And my God will meet all your needs according to his riches in glory. How many know that's a great promise? But it's a promise with a premise. And my God will meet all your needs according to riches in glory. This is the, the, the promise of people who live generous lives. Now, now, what's amazing, it says what may be credited to your bank account. That is a, an accounting term. An accounting term. A anyone visiting here for the first time today? Any, any first time? Yeah, what, what's your name? Steve. Um, Grace, could you help me deliver? Got a $50 bill here. You're just delivering it. You're just delivering Did you see how keen she was? Grace, just give that to Steve over there. And Steve, that, that, that's for you. Thank you very much. You can keep it. You don't need to give it back to me, anybody, the church, that's your money. Anyone else visiting? Only kidding. <laughs> Suddenly everyone's visiting. What I want to illustrate is... In the natural, what we think is Steve's assets just went up by 50 bucks, and my assets went down by 50 bucks. It's debits and credits. He got a credit, I got a debit. I know officially in counting it's the opposite, but let's not go there. We think the world operates on double-entry accounting, debits and credits. Credit for Steve, debit for me. He's better off, I'm worse off. I would like to suggest that Paul is teaching triple-entry accounting. Ooh, third dimension. 
Triple entry accounting. I believe when I give, Steve's had a credit. He's got $50 off. He's thinking about what he's doing for lunch today. I am $50 less in the natural. But you know what? I've just made a $50 deposit in my heavenly bank account. There's a third dimension to the transaction. I'm actually not worse off. I am better off because I'm giving, I'm investing, and at the right time, God can pay a return. Paul's like, this is not me. This is not some prosperity gospel. This is not from America. This is from Paul. I'm not looking for your gifts. I'm looking for what could be credited to your accounts. Your offering is acceptable. You know what? God's going to meet all your needs. You'll never go without. I can just see next Sunday there's going to be a lot of visitors. Are you the church that gives away money? Man, most churches in Ballarat are taking money. At Mount Clear, they give away money. No pressure, Steve. I'm telling you, this, this, this is so true. And there's people in this room that could tell you testimonies of where they gave money away. And in the natural, you go, ooh, I'm worse off. But uh, something else is going on. And so don't believe the lie that when you give, you've made a loss. You've actually made a deposit. There's another lie that we kind of have in our head is, when I have a surplus, then I'll give. When I've got a lot of money, then I'll give. Ever heard that one? You know, if I make a million, then I'll be generous. You know, in the kingdom of God, God says, give even in your need and watch me work. Give even in your need and watch me work. You go first. There's a story in 1 Corinthians 17. There's a widow there. She's so poor. She only has enough flour and oil to make one loaf of bread, and then her and her son are going to die. Like, like that's poverty. This is literally her last supper. There's this prophet guy named Elijah. He comes through. And he's a man of God. He's not a manipulator. He's not some traveling whatever, you know. He comes through and he says, cook that up and feed me first. Can you read the newspapers? Traveling evangelist eats widow's last meal. <laughs> I mean, yeah. What a narcissist. <laughs> feed me first. But she believed that this was a true prophet and a true word. And she cooked up her last bit of flour, last bit of oil, and she gave it away. And the Bible says as long as that famine was there, that jar of oil, that jar of flour never ran out. Something supernatural happened because she gave in faith to a true word of God. Here's another story, another widow in the New Testament, Luke 21. Jesus was standing by the offering treasury. That's pretty rude, isn't it? You know, like he's actually looking at what everyone's giving. I mean, what kind of a pastor are you, Jesus? And, and all the rich are pouring in, clink, 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 clink. There's a lot of coins there. And then this widow comes up with one little coin and she drops it in. And he said to the disciples, it's not about the amount, it's about the heart. He said, see, those, those people gave, didn't really, wouldn't even make a dent in their actual assets, but this woman gave all that she had. What's amazing is that Jesus let her give. Like if it was me, I would have said, sweetheart, it's not going to make a difference, just keep it. Like if he was a real pastor, he wouldn't have let her give. Think about it. What difference is a mite going to make? Look at all that money. Jesus let her give. 
because he knew that she had a heavenly father that was watching over her and a heart of generosity was pleasing God, was going to bless others, and she would be blessed. See, the book of Psalms says, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their seed begging for bread. And so this is not our motive. We don't, I'm not preaching some, you know, if you, you know, when I give today, I'm praying for that new car. I'm not, I'm not, this is not our motive, but it is our expectation. When you sow, you will reap. If you don't sow, you won't reap. You sow generously, you will reap generously. Our faith is in God, not in money. Let me wrap this up with a few promises. Don't worry, we're not doing another offering. Just relax. Just, just everything I've taught you today, just look at these scriptures now. Psalms. Next one coming. Thanks, Sally. Psalms 112 verse 5. Good will come to those who are generous and led freely who conduct their affairs with justice. Interesting, isn't it? Good will come to the generous. It doesn't say, uh, when good comes, be generous. Good will come to those who are generous. It's a principle. Look at the next one. You've probably heard this one, Proverbs 3. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops, then... Your barns will be filled to overflowing. Your vats will brim over with new wine. This is an agricultural society. I think it should be written like this. When your barns are full, then honor the Lord. It doesn't say that. It says you honor the Lord. You put God first in your finances, and then there's this blessing that comes into your life. Look at this one, Proverbs 11, 24 to 25. One person gives freely and gains even more. So like, like, like this, is, this is crazy. Uh, another one withholds unduly, hanging on to those fries, but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will, will be fresh. This is all through the Bible. When you live a generous life, God is pleased. Others are blessed. And God just seems to bring stuff your way. Look at this one, Luke 6.38. Jesus now, give and it will be given to you. I thought it should say, when it's given to you, give. (laughs) No, start with where you are now. Just take some baby steps. Just begin living a generous life. Uh, And 2 Corinthians 9, 6, he who sows generously will reap generously. So wrapping this up, final slide, here we go. Paul quotes a teaching of Jesus that's not in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's the only time Paul quotes Jesus outside of the Gospels. And you know what it's about? It's about generosity. Paul says, you know why I live the life I live? You know why I work hard? You know why I meet my own needs? You know why I have enough to give away? Because I learned from Jesus. He says, you're going to be happier, more blessed, more well off when you're in a giving mode than in a receiving mode. How? How? Well, I think God's pleased. Other people are blessed. And in the process, we also are blessed. And so I pray today, wherever you may be, you may be a visitor, you may have been following Jesus for many, many years, I would just encourage you, make a decision to live a generous life. You'll be far happier when you stop this selfish, orientated life and you become a servant, a giver of others. And so I wonder what your response is today. Maybe it's the 10, 10, 80. Maybe you haven't even started with the giving or maybe you're an occasional giver. Uh, or maybe, you know, you 
haven't got the saving thing happening. Or maybe you're living beyond your means. You know, if you'll just make a decision today, make some changes, it won't happen overnight, you can be financially free. You can have enough to meet your own needs and enough to give away. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Everyone said amen? Amen. 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 I want to pray for you today. Uh, I wanted to pray uh, for a number of people, but um, anyone looking for work right now? Look, look, looking for a job? Okay. Mark up the back. Anyone looking for a better job? Hopefully no church staff stand up there, Mark. Yeah. <laughs> I got real faith to pray for people needing work. So um, if you're needing a job, a better job, you know, uh, I, would, I wonder if you wouldn't mind standing. So we can just pray for you today. Hey, come on, we've all been there. So, so who's needing some work today? Come on, look employable. There could be someone sitting down that goes, I'm going to go talk to them today. I've had that happen in church where people are sitting down looking for a couple of... I tell you what, staff are your greatest asset. Good staff are your greatest asset. So, hey, how about we pray for these people? If, if you're from Mount Clear and someone's near, just put a hand on their shoulder and let's pray for these people today. Father, you are Jehovah Jireh, the Lord our provider. You give us the power to get wealth. You don't give us wealth. We don't wake up in the morning and there's a little, little envelope with 100 bucks. You don't give us wealth. You give us the power to earn wealth. And so for those standing today, I pray as they knock on doors, as they go for interviews, as they put applications in today, I pray for the favor of God upon them. That as they go, they'll find just the right job that matches their gifts, their abilities, their passions. And Lord, as they work, as they contribute to make Ballarat and surrounding areas a better place, Lord, they'll receive some income and then they can honor you and bless others and meet the needs of their family. And so I pray today, for even this week, for supernatural doors to open, for jobs, for increases, for promotions. Lord, for each of these people today, in Jesus' wonderful name. Everyone said amen. amen. Come on, give these people a clap today. Awesome. I think I'm going to wrap it up there, Andrew. On to the final slide, um, just... Give my little website a plug there, Mark Connor. That's ernodoak.com.au. I do have a book called Money Talks. I didn't bring any with me, but they're available on Word Bookstore. And it has a lot of what we gave today and a lot more on the area of finances. I also have a blog and a podcast. So if you want to check that out, that may be a blessing to you. I've had fun this morning, and I hope you've enjoyed it. And I just want to say you are a generous people. And I want to encourage you just to keep living generous lives and know that there's a joy in giving. And I pray that as you keep giving, you know, um, Galatians 6, 9, I think it is, says don't be weary in doing good. Yeah. Our problem here is not doing bad things. You know, we're not bank robbers, we're not terrorists, we're not drug dealers, right? <laughs> Our problem isn't that we're doing bad things. Our problem is we could get weary or tired doing good. But we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. And so some of you are saying, well, I'm doing all these things. You know, there's a delay between the promise and the fulfillment, between the sowing and the reaping. So our issue is not that we'll do bad things, it's that we get weary. Don't, don't get weary. Stay strong, church. God bless you.